expectancy about what on earth is he going to do with this story. It's a salutary tale, isn't it? And uh, an interesting one. Now, just a quick recap. Over the last few weeks, we've sort of been going through the, the, the birth of the new church. So, um, Jesus rises from the dead. Everybody's amazed. Uh, they gather together. The Holy Spirit arrives. And we see the new church grow and do really well. We see them do well outside of the church. And then after a time, as we were hearing a couple of weeks ago, trouble arrives. Now we see the first trouble in the church. And let's be honest, pretty dramatic trouble. I mean, goodness knows what the health and safety executive would make of it if that happened in a church now. I mean, the investigation would be incredible, wouldn't it? Absolutely. But let's just break this down. So the people in the church, this is the early church that we were reading about, they have abandoned materialism. The people who are in need are receiving from the generosity of the congregation. People are examining. People are examining their possessions. And some of the people in the church are actually selling their assets and giving it to the church. And I'm very pleased to say that the church is then giving that money away. So then Barnabas sells a field and he puts it at the apostles' feet which is interesting. So Ananias and Sapphira do the same thing, but they conspire to keep some of the money and pretend it's all the money. And that's what ends unpleasantly. So that raises lots of questions. I don't know. I have lots of questions about that. Does that raise a question for you? Lots of questions for me. In fact, pretty well most of the next few minutes are going to just going to be questions. We're just going to ask questions because it raises so many questions. I mean, for example, in a church that was getting it so right, how was that that people were getting it so wrong? How did that happen? On the... At his feet? Were Peter's feet smelling that bad? I mean, we all know from the Gospels that Peter had an issue with people washing his feet. I mean, was it, was it that bad? Do, do the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit kill you right on the spot if you misbehave? So watch it. Might do. But that's just the sort of surface. Really, we've got to ask here, why did Ananias and Sapphira do that? I mean, honestly, why did they do that? It's always confused me. And the thing is that speculating about people's motives shows up stuff for today. So, was this an attempt to impress? Was that the plan? The plan was, as the video suggested, that, that they did this in order to impress did Ananias and Sapphira think that there was something to be gained by this? Did they want to look wealthy? Did they want to look generous? Did they want to look superior? See, that throws up even more problems, doesn't it? You know, it, I mean, was that what was going on? 
you know, was it like, you know, the, the new car in the school run? You know, where I take the new car to the school. Yes, lady. Yes, check this out. Yes, when you've been looking down at me. Yes, look at this. Don't forget it. I know this never happens in Bridge North school runs, only in other places. But, I mean, does that happen in the church? Does that happen? Was that happening then? I mean, do they think that there is an elevated position? Is there an elevated position for people who give more money to the church? Is there an elevated position for people who are seen to be giving more money to the church? We know that pre-Reformation, yes, over the summer we'll be talking about the Reformation, but pre-Reformation that was undoubtedly the case, that you could buy status and position and influence with money in the church. Does that still happen? Is that the case? That's worrying. Was that going on in the early church? The early church sounded so good. That's quite worrying. Those are difficult questions. What equally, what's going on in the church that makes people think that way? Is that actually what happens? That those who are wealthy get status? Well, those of you who are familiar with James's letter to the church, do you remember James's letter to the church? It was pretty clear that was happening. That was happening. But we see, was that the beginning? Now, I just want to give you a little bit of modern history of the relationship between wealth and spiritual fitness as it's worked its way into modern evangelical culture. So this is, this is our lot. So it works like this. In the Victorian industrial time, where there was a huge amount of poverty, which was quite literally related to people consuming vast amounts of alcohol. So men would spend their entire wage by the end of Friday night or the end of Saturday night, depending on when they were paid, they would spend it all on alcohol in the industrial slums. And there was no money for food, there was no money for education, no one with anything. The families lived up in absolute poverty. It was dire. And then we saw the temperance movement, and particularly driven by the evangelicals. And what this meant was that people gave their lives to Jesus and stopped drinking because they signed the pledge. Because they stopped drinking, their families stopped suffering. They were able to afford better places, and their children got better fed and got better clothes. And they looked like they were doing better because, guess what? They were doing better. Now, those children got better schooling, had more confidence, were better nourished. So they did better. And they moved out altogether, and so on. And somewhere in the evangelical movement, the thinking began to work like this. Wealth is a result of clean living, and clean living is a result of good spiritual health. Therefore, wealth equals good spiritual health. I know it doesn't, I, I know that, but that was the sequence. And that haunted, tormented, I think it's probably fair to say, the evangelical churches for about 10 generations. Now, it's interesting, how does it get so distorted? So this is, does it work the same with academic achievement? People who are really clever, because they can explain the answers, must have more spiritual depth than people who don't. 
How does that distorted thinking happening? You know, these are not good assumptions to make. God is interested in character, not in wealth, not in cleverness, but character. But does the church get that? Or does, do we get confused? Was that what was happening? I know those are awkward questions, was it? So apart from that, so was it an attempt to impress? Was it an attempt to keep up with the Joneses? Or in their case, the Jonaseses? Because obviously it was a long time ago. Did they think that that was a way to fit in? Was it church culture? What, were people saying to what, what, you, 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 you haven't sold a field yet? <laughs> we, we sold ours ages ago. Was that the culture? Was it the We've Got Stuff Club? And so when people came into the church, it was important to look like you too had stuff because that's how you fitted in. The Bible says that in the church, no one considered their possessions their own. But Ananias and Sapphira did. Why, why were they thinking like that? Why were they thinking like that? That's quite interesting. Why did they lie? Why did they lie? Was it not okay in the church to admit if you were a bit short of money? I mean, some of them was going on here that they wanted to keep some of the money, which, in fairness to Peter, he said would have been fine. Give what you can. Why did they feel they couldn't do that? What was going on in the church that left somebody thinking that they had to appear better off than they were? What was going on there? That's quite worrying. Was it not okay to say, I can't afford that? What happened? What happens in a church when it gets to the point where people can't say that? That's scary. Here's another one. So the apostles are clearly saying, well, give whatever you can. Is that message not being heard? So are the apostles out of touch with what's going on in the church? So the apostles are saying, well, everybody should give what they can, but somehow behind their backs, unbeknownst to the people at the front, the people in the pews, I'm sure they didn't have pews, but you know what I mean, the people in the pews are developing a whole different church culture altogether. How does that happen? Do church leadership get out of touch with what's going on in their churches? Surely not. How does that happen? Was there a two-tier system? Was that what was happening? The rich who gave and the poor who got. So there was the givers and the getters, and it was like there was two different churches. We get some indication of this. Do you remember a bit later when the, 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 our set of deacons set up in the church to make sure that, the, that what is distributed is distributed? It feels, begins to feel like there's a two-tier church here. And wh which tier are you in? That's not healthy. Was that what was going on? That's quite scary, isn't it? These are difficult questions, but let's ask the questions. Last one, just as we're asking. Was it important to appear spiritual even if you weren't? Was there a sort of way of being, way of talking, way of saying that kind of meant that you never really said anything that made you look well? 
real, I suppose. There was this sort of veneer, is that the right way to put it? A veneer of spirituality from the way that everybody spoke. That actually underneath was not there. Now, you can imagine, can't you, that if churches were full of people who said one thing and did another, they'd be accused of all sorts. Praise God, that never happens today. But is that, is, is there a pressure to appear more spiritual than we are? Surely if Jesus' salvation is for all of us, the more real we are, the more real Jesus' salvation is going to appear, isn't it? But do we get a veneer of looking good, even when we're not? Or is it just me? Hey. And it's interesting, isn't it? Was the, does the church give off that it's full of perfect people? I mean, we read this passage in Acts, and it sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Sounds fantastic. And was that an image? I don't believe it was an image, but we'll come to that. And we have to ask ourselves that. So why could Ananias and Sapphira not say that here's what we can afford? This gift is only part. We sold the field. We needed some of it. Here's some of the rest. Why could they not say? What was going on? I don't know. It worries me a little. Now, you may be saying, look, this is all very unfair. The New Testament church really wasn't like that at that time. And I would, I would tend to agree with you. At that point, the church was… This is, this is Luke, Luke, who wrote the gospel, also wrote Acts. One of the things we know about Luke is that he didn't tend to gild the lily. You know, if it was good, he said it was good, but if it wasn't good, he tended to say it wasn't good. I mean, Luke is not one of the writers that made the disciples look particularly good during the Gospels. He didn't make some of the Christian churches look particularly good later on in Acts. So the chances are that when he said that the church was that good, he was probably right. So is this a change point? Now, I just want to make an analogy here. So God made a garden, and He put people in it, and it was very good. It was perfect. It was just right. And then the humans who lived there embraced sin, and it wasn't perfect anymore. So here we have the new church that Jesus forms, and it's perfect. And then the people in the church embrace sin, and it's not so perfect anymore. And what we have is the fallen church. And the reason the church has fallen is because the people who are in it are fallen. But I would suggest to you this, that like, and this carries on today, that after the fall in the garden, human beings have spent the rest of history trying to convince everybody that they're not fallen. The church is making a big mistake if it spends the rest of its history trying to convince the outside world that the people in the church aren't fallen, because we are. We are a fallen church, and to be honest, the more honest we are about that, the more relevant we're going to be. Having said that, we should not be a church that revels in our sinfulness. We're not saying it's a good thing, 
but we are saying it's a real thing. How can people relate to us if we are pretending to be something that we're not? We don't do that. It's interesting. We don't know why they got it wrong. We don't know why Ananias and Spira ended up so distorted. We can only speculate. We don't really know. But having said that, it's worth thinking about that, isn't it? How did that distorted thinking go? What about here? What about now? What about us? Have, are we distorted in our thinking? What about you? What about me? Do, do you think that some people are more holy or some people are more worthy or some people are more spiritual than you? Do you look around and you just spot the holier ones, the more spiritual ones, the more worthy ones? I am but a worthless worm, and they are but an elevated, almost angelic individual. I want to tell you today that I'm not. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Do we, do we think that? Would we say it? Sometimes. Do you think that other people have a better connection to God than you? Do you think that? You see, it's a bit of a myth, and yet it's because we take one piece of evidence and we interpret it in a wrong way. So some people spend a lot of time in prayer, they clear distractions. They try to hear what God says. They practice being obedient. And guess what? That has a big impact. And people who struggle with that think that they must hear God better than me because every once in a while I sit down and I say, well, God, what do you want? I don't hear a thing. So it must be that God communicates better with them than with me. And the answer is that that's not actually true. God is talking to you all the time. Here is my genuine belief. I don't believe there is a single person on the planet that belongs to Jesus who does not know deep inside what God's will for them is. It's just about connecting with it. So God communicates with all of us equally. It's us and whether we listen or not. And there's a set of things to do, and we will hear God. So nobody hears. Nobody has a better connection with God. Nobody. We all have the same through Jesus. Do you think that spiritual work is only for the clever? Because they have all the answers. Do you think that spiritual work is only for the gifted and the talented? Do you think that maybe spiritual work is only for the successful? If you've been successful in your job, you can come and be successful in the church. Do you think that? That isn't what the Bible says, but it's easy to do. Do you think you're not good enough? Do you think you're not clever enough? Do you think you're not wealthy enough? Do you think you're not smart enough? So many gifted and talented people around. So this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, if God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
Now, that's not a reason for us then to deliberately do everything badly just to show up our weakness. That's actually inverse vanity. But here's the thing. Are we backing off because we think that God, in fact, is kidding us, and He, in fact, chooses the clever and the strong and the smart and the bright and the wealthy? Are we being deceived? Is our thinking distorted? One little thing. Can I just tell you this? And it, it does make a difference. When you look at people's lives transformed, more often than not, when you ask how, it is because they have had small contacts with people who have done small things. They've been extremely meaningful and extremely potent, but they've been small because God uses the small. It's the small kindnesses, the small words, the small blessings, the small risks. Can I just say that in the Christian church, and I'm not knocking anybody's ministry, but on the whole, it is the Christians who are much more impressed by the big noise, the big event, the big worship sessions, uh, the big speakers, the big writers, and I include myself, and don't get me wrong, I am impressed, and I find them fantastically helpful that they're around. But it's the people in the church that are massively impressed by that. On the whole, people are saved because they have contact with small things and small people and small acts because that's how God uses us. Does that make sense? Are you too small to be kind? Are you too small to just say, I'm doing this because I follow Jesus? Are you too small to do that? Nobody is. It's fantastic. Anyway, we're all unworthy. Just be clear about this. Oh, I just want to tell you the heavenly order. Okay? It's quite complicated, so maybe you want to take notes. Here's the heavenly order. It works like this. There's God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's us. I, no more notes. That's it. Do you want me to do that again? There's God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's us. That's all of us. Okay? That includes Christians and non-Christians. We're all the same. Every single one of us is fallen, and anybody who is heading to heaven is only doing it through the grace of Jesus Christ. We have no right to say that we are better, and we certainly have no position to think that we are better than anybody else, but nor have we any right or any position to think that we are worse than anyone else. Hierarchy is something that is created by human beings, and we start it right away. After the fall, Cain met Abel, and Cain said, well, hang on a second, your offering's better than mine. I don't like that. All God was interested in was offering. It was human beings that decided which ones were better and which ones weren't. We do this all the time. Do you do top trumps with everything? You know, which one do you prefer? What's your favorite? Which one do you like best? Where would you rather be, here or there? This is humans. Humans make hierarchies. God has no hierarchy. It distorts our thinking if we think that there is a hierarchy. There is no hierarchy. Equally, there's no hierarchy of sin. Sin is about its consequence. Sin's consequence is that it separates humans from God. That's it. Well, which sin? Well, any sin. Well, 
Which ones separate you more from God than the ones that don't? None. They all separate you the same. Sin separates the hierarchy. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, us. That's it. There's the hierarchy. It's not that complicated. Are you following me? I know it's warm, but are you following me here? Yeah? Do you actually, and I'm challenging myself here, really deep down when somebody just bugs you to death, or somebody makes you feel really uncomfortable, do you really still just think, oh, no, no, we're all the same? Or are we tempted to think, well, they're just a smidgen, just a, just a little bit worse than me? No, okay, just me then. And it's interesting, because we do that. And here is the thing, and just to say, if we follow Jesus, we mature in the faith. And if we hang back, quite often it's because we either believe lies about ourselves, or we believe lies about other people. And that's not that helpful. Okay. So let's just finish with this. Do we believe? It's the real bottom line from this whole thing, and it's quite uncomfortable, but really. Do we believe inside that there are more than and less than Christians? I mean, really, as opposed to, I know what the right, it's like Sunday school, you know where the right answer is, Jesus? Well, it's a bit like this. The right answer is, no, no, Graham, of course we don't believe that. Okay, so that's what you tell me. I'm accepting that. But here's the thing. Inside, really, inside, do you believe that they're actually more than and less than Christians? And more importantly, which one do you think you are? Are you a more than or are you a less than? Because you see, if you think that people are more than Christian than you, what you believe is that there are more than and less than Christians. Now, I don't know if you believe that there's some kind of, I don't know, spiritual social movement that with enough effort, etc., you can move from being a less than to a more than Christian. And you aspire to that, and that's your ambition. I'm a less than Christian today, but the day will come when I will be a more than, and then all you less thans are better watch out, because I won't be mixing with you. No, sir. No, 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 no. I will be up there doing all that spiritual stuff that the more than Christians do. I won't have time. Do we think like that? I know I'm making a caricature of it, but really, really, is that what we think? And I think that's quite interesting. But here's the other side. Do you think you're a more than Christian? Do you think you're a more than Christian? Do you look down on others? Do you have this view? Well, that's fantastic. That's brilliant. That was a bit disappointing. That was brilliant. That was disappointing. That was the right thing. No, struggle. Uh, do we think that? This is what Paul says. He says, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that was Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours because you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Can I just tell you this? Be careful 
of following heroes that are not Jesus. Be careful of following heroes that are not Jesus. But lots of Christians do. But here's the thing. It ruins your relationship with Jesus because they let you down. There are, there are several ways of doing this. The first one is this, that God works through everybody. But if there is a hero or heroes or a hero class or a hero group, then anybody who's not in that, their ministry is somewhat diminished because they're not this or they're not them. What they do is somewhat diminished. That makes us start to think there are more than and less than. Well, it was all very well, but it's not them. It was all very good, but it's not that. That's not, that's not the church's thinking, or it shouldn't be. Be careful with heroes. Remember, remember David danced. He danced before the Lord with all the servant girls, and his wife, who was quite posh, looked down, and she despised him. That's the word it says. She despised him in her heart. Is there a risk that there are Christians in churches who look at the stumbling efforts of those who are being obedient and despise them because they are not the big noise with a smoke machine and a spray tan? That would be sad, wouldn't it? That would be just like Ananias and Sapphira's distorted thinking. We should, surely that doesn't happen anywhere. We risk being deceived because we think we're more than or we think that we're less than, and we're neither. People, if you think that you are less than others, you are being disabled because you will not step out because you think you're less than, and that's a lie. If you think you are more than, you will be disabled because you will be unable to be an encouragement to those who are stumbling in their obedience, and you will be disabled. And whose agenda is it to disable the church? It is Satan's agenda. to He's the one who wants it. So we have to watch our distorted thinking. Here's the reality. Jesus died, and as a result, if you have given your life to Jesus, you are worthy of all the spiritual blessings that are available. You are worthy of a place in heaven, not because of you, because you're a bit duff. I've just got to be honest with you. You're just not that great, and neither am I. In fact, we're all a bit rubbish, and the reason that Jesus died is just for that, and none of us are any better than anybody else. But if you receive Jesus, all the treasures of spiritual life become yours, and you have just as much as everybody else, whether you use it or whether you don't, whether you take it or whether you hold it back, all of that belongs to you. And if you don't have that today, I can introduce you to Jesus, and He will give it to you. What that does to you after that, that's a different matter, and that's what I'm going to ask you. Do you always feel worthless? Are you being, is your thinking telling you worthless? Were you, were you a bit less than a, as a child? Were you overlooked in favor of some brother or sister when you were a child? Did you make some great mistake in your past that you think always defines you as a less than because you can't get over it? Is there a sense that 
you've always underachieved. You've never quite done what you thought you should. And you, you've now lost your confidence. Have you tried and failed and been put off and thought, well, I'll not try that again. That's for the proper spiritual people not doing that again. Have you been? Do you judge yourself harshly? Because you're not the judge of you, by the way. You know that thing, you're not the boss of me. Well, can I just tell you, you're not the judge of you either. That's not your job. Oh, by the way, look around you. None of these other people are the judge of you either. Just, just so you know, you're not the judge of you. Okay, let's put it this Are you driven by guilt? Is that what happens? Is one of those sort of passive-aggressive, um, you know, sort of parents that always made you do things out of guilt, and that even now, when you're older, you still feel, I've met people in their 80s, the parents who made them feel guilty have been dead for 40 years, and they still feel guilty. How's that happen? How's that happen? I bet you know people like that too. Maybe that's you. Are you driven by guilt? That's distorted thinking. Is there a past sin that you can't let go? God can't forgive it, or God can forgive it, but I won't forgive it. Or if it all came out, I'd just drop dead in church if it all came out. Do you feel like that? Do you think, you know, that you're always trying to earn it? Is it, is it always your fault? Are you always failing? Is everybody else doing better than you? Does everybody do better than you? Who's doing better than you? Nobody's doing better than you. Just some people are good at looking like they're doing better than you. Maybe that's you. Are you good at making it look like you're doing really well, when in fact you're not? It's great, isn't it? Let's ask ourselves, do you feel unfulfilled? Do you always feel that you should have had more, done more, achieved more? Are we letting you down? Is this church a bit rubbish and you're not getting what you feel entitled to? Is God a bit rubbish and you're not getting what you're entitled to? Should you have had it better? That's distorted thinking. Are you disappointed with what life has given you? Does nothing ever feel good enough? Nothing ever feels good enough. What about the opposite? What about the opposite? What about other Christians? Do they just let you down? Do you despise them? Do you think that there are more than and less than Christians? Do you think that? Which one are you? Are you a more than or a less than? Can you go through all the Christians you know in your mind's eye and score them? Can you do that? That's not good thinking. That's unhealthy thinking. What about here? Do you have more than and less than neighbors? Do you have some people that you think are nice and deserve to hear about Jesus and some who are not so nice and you're never going to tell them? Because God forbid they should ever come into the church and ruin it. Is that how you think? Is that what's going on? How does that distortion happen? How does that happen? Are people just a disappointment to you? Have you been hurt in the church? Have we hurt you? Have I hurt you? Has the church in the past hurt you? Maybe not this church, another church. Has some church leader hurt you? Has some Christian hero hurt you? And it's all over because they hurt you. Well, I'm sorry if they hurt you and that was wrong. And that was disappointing. But that was also human. 
but you shouldn't let that distort your thinking beyond. You're not less than, they're not less than, you're not more than, they're not more than. It's all there. I know I've gone on a little too long, so please forgive me. Only Jesus is this. So just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where your thinking is being distorted. Be really honest with Jesus. Confess where it's going wrong or where you think. Let us pray for you today on another occasion. Don't carry this around. You don't need to carry this around. Look what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They carried it around to death. You don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. I quite often tell my failings to John Smith, and he forgives me. And it's a good thing. I'm glad he's here. James has taken on that mantle from Donovan. But don't think that I don't know how rubbish I am at lots of things. I try and tell you, I hope you believe me. Because frankly, I don't want to carry the burden of looking good. I really don't. I'm not strong enough. I'm a bit rubbish. I do my best, but I'm a bit rubbish. I know you're going to say, and it's a nice thing to say, well, look, Graeme, you're, yes, and thank you for that. And there are some things I'm quite good at. I appreciate that. But inside, I know how weak I am, and I know that only Jesus can make the difference. Don't ever think otherwise. We haven't got a platform. I'm glad. Same for you, same for everyone else. Just understand that. Let's be really honest. How do we practice new thinking? We can spend the summer challenging each time we start to feel guilty unnecessarily, unworthy unnecessarily, when Satan puts those old sins in your ear. What, what time of the day does he do that for you? About, about quarter to five in the morning is my standard reminder time for Satan. I'll just tell you that, when I wake up in the morning and it's early, that's, that's his standard time for reminding me. What's yours? You've got to compete with that. You can't put up. You're not a slave to your sin if you've been redeemed in Jesus. Don't put the chains back on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's talk honestly with one another. That's my last thing. Let's talk honestly to one another. Let's do this. Let's just be real and say, I struggle with this. I'm not good at that. I'm hung up by this. I'm hurt by that. These things, they just confuse me. These areas make me feel weak. This bit, I never feel as good enough. Why is everybody else? Let's be honest. Let's be real. The best way to expose a lie is to talk it out, isn't it? The best way to avoid assumptions is to communicate. Let's just be real with one another. The world outside needs to know how rubbish we are because then they will understand how much we need Jesus and I hope, conversely, they will understand how much they need Jesus and what a wonderful gift it is. So let me just pray. Forgive me for being a little long on this one. It was a tricky subject. And uh, bless you all. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray that you will correct our bad thinking. Lord, we admit, I admit, I am deceived. My thinking is distorted. I find myself pulled about by all kinds of wrong thoughts instead of really embracing my freedom in Jesus. I feel pressured to, be, to look better than I am. I feel pressured to 
hang back when you prompt me because there's probably somebody who could do it better. I feel pressured to think about my own sin instead of thinking about my salvation. I feel pressured just by a sense that there's so much more, and yet there I am. Lord, just help me. Help all of us just to think differently. By your Holy Spirit, prompt us. Don't let our thinking distort our Christian lives, Lord. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.